I am speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Why is there this decline in trust, not just for CBC, Radio-Canada, or the media in general, but for public institutions? Hi, I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. Welcome to Cross Country Checkup, the podcast. Defund the CBC! Defund the CBC! Defund the CBC! Our question, does Canada still need a public broadcaster? What do you want from the CBC? Where else are you going to find your information, right? Other than social media, Instagram, Twitter? I don't think, you know, traditional media is as relevant as it was. I mean, I know I don't watch TV much at all. I think if the CBC sticks to its roots and, and holds conversations with real people on the streets, it's got a bright future. From Pierre Polyev's calls to defund the CBC to redefining the role of public broadcasting in a quickly changing media world, there is a lot to talk about. Everything from Meta's decision to block Canadian news to mass layoffs in print media, including Metroland's decision to stop printing nearly 70 community papers in Ontario last week. Your perspective might depend on where you live, how you get your information, and how you see the world. Every week we choose a topic for checkup that we think is part of the national conversation. Last week it was drug poisonings. Earlier in the month, immigration and housing. Those were challenging subjects, and this week's is too, but for a different reason. It's a conversation about our employer, our work. But it's the voice of our callers and guests that are front and centre. You pay for the CBC, you're listening to the CBC, your perspective matters. Our question, does Canada still need a public broadcaster? What do you want from the CBC? In the last half hour, we'll speak to a professor at McGill who says CBC needs to embrace bold, creative ideas as it takes on the age of misinformation, including giving its content to private broadcasters for free. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. From CBC Radio, this is Checkup, the podcast. Cross-country checkups live broadcast from September 24, 2023. And before we go to callers, let's check in on some of the polling numbers and what they say about how Canadians apparently feel about the CBC and some of the factors affecting the political conversation around public broadcasting right now. Let's bring in Bruce Anderson, a pollster and partner with Spark Advocacy, which is a public affairs firm. And that organization released a poll back in April. At the time, CBC had been labeled, quote, government funded on Twitter, which is now branded as X. And that reignited the conversation around the CBC, its funding and its mandate. And Bruce joins us today from Ottawa. Hi. Hi, and good to see you. Yeah, good to see you as well. Now, your poll was released back in April. 45% of respondents said they would be in favor of shutting down the CBC to save money. 55% said they value it and would like it maintained. What do you think those numbers mean for the CBC? Well, I think it should be understood as a, a bit of a five-alarm fire for the CBC. I grew up with the CBC, um, love what it has done over the years to educate me and inform me and, and people that I know about um, news and current affairs. But I think the numbers are a warning sign that there are a lot of people who don't have the same 
degree of connection in their lives with the CBC. And then there are some other issues that have developed alongside the generation and technology gap, which have become more and more problematic for the CBC as well, some of which have to do with the CBC and how it operates, but more of which are more systemic cultural issues, which I think are are challenging. So let's dig into that a little bit. What are some of the big factors that uh, has led the CBC to where it is right now in terms of public opinion? Well, I think we, we've really seen a breakdown in what people rely on in terms of what is news and where should you get it. And we've seen this plethora of different sources, uh, some of which are, uh, I guess, siblings or children of traditional legacy media. I'm thinking in particular of cable news channels. Cable news channels, for many people, don't sound like news channels. They sound like biased news channels. And so that has been a big part of... Um, unwrapping some of the trust and confidence that people have had over time that when they tune into a news program that they're going to get factual information. Another thing that has happened, and um, we see it in our public opinion, is that conservatives have generally tried to make a case pretty persistently over time that news organizations tend to be, with some exceptions obviously, biased against them. And we tested this a little while ago. We asked the question when Pierre Polyev, for example, is critical of the news media. What do you think he's trying to do? Do you think he's trying to bully media and he's overly critical? Or do you think he's he's underlining a fact that media are generally biased against conservatives? And the majority of Canadians said that they thought that media were generally biased against conservatives and he was making a legitimate argument. And that includes 60% of the people on the center of the spectrum. The last thing that I wanted to just raise and, and see where you want to go with it is we're living in a time where uh, the culture war, uh, wokeism, however you want to characterize it, has become more and more prominent in the political conversation. There are a lot of people who don't uh, believe in the, in the idea of equal rights, uh, in the way in which those rights are manifest in the in the form of media and institutional behaviors. Uh, but the CBC obviously has a responsibility. Uh, to pursue diversity, to pursue inclusion. And so to some degree, that puts it at odds with a a reasonably sized minority of the population, which finds that whole uh, woke agenda, the culture war as they see it, uh, as being offensive to their interests or or just something that's annoying to them. Yeah, I mean, there's so much there that is so thoughtfully put and uh, and and complicated, right? I mean, you talk about uh, cable news channels. I don't think the the polarization we see in the United States with CNN, let's say MSNBC and Fox, is reflected on CTV News Channel or the channel some people are looking at right now, CBC News Network. Um, we do have uh, this perception of the media generally being biased towards small C and large C conservatives, but not just limited to the CBC in terms of the public perception. And then as you, the third point you made is about this, uh, the culture wars and, and that whole um, uh, sort of anger about quote unquote wokeism. So we can go in any direction with any of those, but, but l- let's focus on the last one for a moment. I mean, um, how does, if the CBC wants to increase its public support, if it wants to connect with more people, and if there is this group of people who are at odds, one group of people at odds with another group of people over issues, let's say, like LGBTQ rights, how how can how should the CBC be proceeding? Well, I think it's it's not just a business dilemma in the sense of how do, how do you get enough viewers and listeners to um, to sustain support for the organization. There's a moral dilemma at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. Um, part of 
the people who who generally would characterize the CBC as too woke for their tastes, many of them um, don't want to hear about climate change. They don't necessarily believe that climate change is a serious threat. And so if you're the CBC, does that mean that in order to attract more of those viewers and listeners, you need to uh, soften the degree to which you uh, raise concerns or publish evidence of climate change? I think that's a moral choice. I think the right choice is you got to go where the facts go, but that means that that audience is going to feel more distant from you. At the same time, on equal rights, I mentioned that a couple of times, um, 17% of Canadians don't believe that everybody should have equal rights. Uh, obviously, those people aren't going to feel comfortable with an organization, news organization, or any institution in society that 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 fosters the idea of equal rights for all. Um, you know, there are other aspects of wokeism that come into play, but a lot of it really just has to do with a significant proportion of the population, bigger and more voluble and more visible now than we've ever seen before because of social media and the internet, who um, who are unhappy with the way institutions have moved, and particularly in the direction of wanting to fight climate change, wanting to be more inclusive and diverse, uh, wanting to make sure that women have equal rights to uh, as men, those kinds of things. And I, I think that's a moral question, not just a business question for the CBC, because what it might take to win more audience share might be anathema to the the values of the organization and indeed of, of many Canadians. Let me ask you a more purely political question. It's very much in your wheelhouse. We we don't know yet whether Pierre Polyev will campaign on a clear plan to defund the CBC in the next federal election with a sort of specific, like, this is what I'm going to do. Certainly says he wants to defund it while keeping the French language Radio Canada. Um, looking at the numbers, knowing what you know about politics, do you think that this will be an actual policy that uh, they'll, he'll carry through the campaign? Absolutely. I think he will talk about defunding. I think defunding is a, is to some degree a clever code word. It doesn't say shut it down. It doesn't say uh, end it forever. It doesn't say end every aspect of it. But it um, but it is uh, it is blunt enough, I think, to satisfy that portion of the conservative voter base uh, that really feels that the CBC has done them wrong over the years, has has really underrepresented the conservative point of view on issues. Uh, they feel it quite strongly and they want to hear something that sounds like it's going to reverse that that drift. And as I mentioned before, it's not only the base of the Conservative Party that feels as though conservative voices and points of view have been underrepresented, more than the base of the Conservative Party thinks that, in fact, a majority of Canadians have some sympathy for that point of view. Um, I don't think, though, that he'll want to go further than that. And I think that the reason for that is that there still are a lot of people uh, many in rural areas, uh, many who would otherwise vote conservative, who don't want to hear something that sounds too much like complete shutdown of the CBC. Uh, but the big five alarm challenge, I think, is with younger people. The demographic and technological gap between what my generation knew and learned about the CBC and appreciated over time and what they're experiencing and consuming day in, day out is so big that a lot of people don't know what they'd be missing if it was shut down. Bruce, really nice talking to you. Thanks for connecting with us. Likewise, Ian. Bruce Anderson is a partner with the public affairs agency Spark Advocacy. Before we move on on the program, our panel and your calls, we want to lay the groundwork for our conversation with some facts about the CBC. So here are a few things you may or may not know about the public broadcaster. Take a listen. 
The CBC's mandate is to celebrate Canadian culture and support democratic life through a wide range of content that informs, enlightens, and entertains. In 2022, its annual budget was $1.9 billion, of which $1.24 billion came from the government. As the Federal Crown Corporation, CBC's mandate and independence are set out in the Broadcasting Act. CBC and Radio-Canada newsrooms make their news decisions independently from the corporation. In 2018, it was estimated that CBC costs each Canadian $33 per year. Among 20 Western countries, Canada ranked 17th, one of the lowest levels of per capita spending for a public broadcaster. So a few of the facts about the CBC, which you can also find in the About Us section of the CBC website. Our show question today, does Canada still need a public broadcaster? What do you want from the CBC? Our number is one 888 And whether you want to defend, uh, defund the CBC or defend the CBC, we want to hear from you. But we want to get past the slogans. What's missing? What's one thing that you would like to change? Or what would you lose if CBC disappeared altogether? Our number again, 1-888-416-8333. Also should mention some of the people we invited to take part in the show. We do have a lot of guests besides Bruce, but some of the people we invited uh, declined our request for an interview, including the conservative leader, Pierre Polyev. Uh, starting in May, we reached out to his media relations director and his constituency office. Many times we did not hear back. We also reached out to Rachel Thomas, who is the conservative shadow minister for Canadian heritage. She was also not available. Uh, we placed interview requests with CBC. We asked the president, Catherine Tate, to join us today. She is also not available. We invited Barbara Williams, CBC's executive vice president of English services. She declined our invitation. But lots of people said yes, and let's turn now to two guests who have two different answers to our show question. They'll be with us for the remainder of the program to respond to your calls. Sean Spears, editor-at-large at The Hub, which is a website that provides analysis on Canadian issues and news. He was also a senior economics advisor to former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. We reached him in New York City. And Sue Gardner is a digital media consultant and former executive director of the Wiki Media Foundation. She also previously worked at The Public Broadcaster as the head of cbc.ca, and she's in our Ottawa studio. Welcome to both of you. Hey, Ian. I feel like we're the dregs. We're the only people who said yes. <laughs> no, no, not at all. We had, we had it's many, fine. We're fine with it. We had many people who said yes and hardly uh, describe either one of you as dregs. Um, Sean, you feel that we don't need a public broadcaster in Canada. You would answer no to our show question. Why? Um, the previous guest described this as something of a moral conjury, Ian, and I would say it's a technocratic one. Um, the CBC was created over 90 years ago um, at the advent of uh, radio broadcasting and then subsequently television. And there was a legitimate concern at the time um, that that it would needed to fill a market gap. That is to say that there would be people or places who would go underserved or unserved altogether because of the tremendous costs associated with establishing or reaching those different audiences um, and the lack of profitability for the market to essentially provide that good. Um, and I think, as I said, that that was a legitimate case at the time. In the intervening decades, though, the, the case is weakened because of innovation. Um, technology has gone a, a great ways, of course, including the internet, to solve for that initial market gap or what's sometimes referred to as a market failure. And so today in 2023, it seems to me 
uh, what parts of the Canadian uh, economy or society are uh, in need of a public broadcaster if you step back and, and think about it through the lens of its its origins. And I think the case is pretty limited. Perhaps um, some middle, mid-sized or smaller communities that are presently lacking um, local news. Um, there may be parts of the North, some indigenous communities. Um, but the case for a national broadcaster of the current size and scope of the CBC, it seems to me, has reached a kind of expiry date. If you, if you again, start from the premise uh, of, of its origins almost a, 100 years ago. So lots of follow-up questions I have just based on what you said, but we also have lots of time together and, uh, and I also want to get to callers. So let me, let me move on here. Earlier this month, CBC President Catherine Tate spoke to host Pia Chattopadhyay on Sunday Magazine. Pia asked her to make the case why the CBC deserves the funding that it gets. Here is what Catherine Tate said. First of all, CBC Radio-Canada is the only, the only national news organization in this country. That means coast to coast to coast in English, in French, and eight indigenous languages. So without that national public broadcaster, people in Newfoundland won't be speaking to the people in Gaspé, won't be speaking to the people in Whitehorse. We connect the country in, um, in a really profound way with over 80 stations and communities. Uh, we're present on the ground. And I guess the case is, without it, we would become even more fragmented or polarized that we're already seeing in the country today. But let's be clear, over 75% of Canadians still consider CBC, Radio-Canada, their most trusted source of news. And that's incredibly important. In a world of disinformation and misinformation, we need to stand strong. Uh, in fact, I would say the case for public broadcasting is stronger than it's ever been. That was CBC President Catherine Tate on the Sunday Magazine with Pia Chattopadhyay. Um, I promise you, Sue, I'm going to come to you many times during the program, but let me follow up what Catherine Tate said with a question to Sean. We are in an era of a huge amount of misinformation being shared, uh, whipping around social media. Um, is having a public broadcaster an important and powerful way to, to help counter that? I'm afraid I don't find that argument compelling, Ian. Um you know, it seems to me that the CBC makes mistakes as any media organization does trying to pursue the, you know, the journalistic principles that underpin its work. Um, there are some voices in the Canuck, you know, in our democratized media landscape these days that don't follow the same principles. And that, of course, is a problem. Um, but in and of itself, I, I don't I don't think that that follows logically that we need the CBC and certainly again not the CBC of the certain of the current size and scope. If I could just make one other quick point, Ian, uh, <laughs> uh, about this idea of filling market gaps, um, and and um, it seems to me, and what we've seen in in recent years is the CBC entering into uh, markets where where there where there isn't gaps at all. Um, uh, a good example is podcasting. I, I presently have a podcast. We're the eighth most popular Canadian-based podcast in the category of culture and society. Six of the seven ahead of me are CBC ones. And I, you know, it's hard, I think, in, in my mind to make the case that there is a, a market gap in the world of, of podcasting that needs to be filled by a public broadcaster. I think that principle extends across a whole range of other issues where the CBC is currently present. And, and I, it's not, I'm not convinced that the market isn't um, presently solving those those challenges in terms of um, reaching audiences all across the country. 
So many follow-up questions again I have, but I'm not going to do I As promised, we're going to go to Sue now. And, uh, and, and what do you believe, Sue, that, that CBC is offering that private media isn't providing? I think that's a strange question, Ian. Sorry. I think that's a strange question. The CBC was not founded, actually, because of a market failure, right? Um, the people who founded the public broadcasting services around the world, they, they did it because they wanted there to be institutions that were helping societies be well-informed, be politically engaged, and, and be socially cohesive and talk to each other and have dialogue with each other about the important issues of the day. They weren't founded as a corrective to a market. And then if the market fixed its fundamentals, then the public broadcasters, the public media organizations would go away. That's not what they were for. They had There were public policy objectives to those organizations. I mean, that is why I won't go on and on, but that is why every democracy in the world, with six, I think, exceptions, um, has a public media organization. It's it's a it's a core central plank in every democracy's strategy um, for how to make sure that the people are informed and engaged and are in dialogue with each other. It's central. It's not intended to exist at the margins of a market. We're here with Sean Spear, editor-at-large with The Hub and a senior fellow with the Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy at the University of Toronto. And you just heard Sue Gardner, who is a digital consultant and used to work at cbc.ca. Our question today, does Canada still need a public broadcaster? What do you want from the CBC? We are live here on CBC News Network and CBC Radio, and you can take part in the program by calling 1-888-416-8333. We have lots of callers in the queue right now, but I also have some more questions I want to put to Sean and Sue. And and Sean, uh, this past April, Elon Musk uh, labeled the CBC as government-funded media. Pierre Polyev has also said that the CBC is beholden to the Liberal government. Here's what he said to a Canadian press reporter on April 13th while answering a question about defunding the CBC. The uh, CBC, uh, frankly, is a biased propaganda arm of the Liberal Party. We need a neutral and free media, but not a propaganda arm for the Liberal Party. And when I'm Prime Minister, we're going to have a free press where everyday Canadians decide what they think rather than having Liberal propaganda jammed down their throats. So, Sean, Pierre Polyev says we need a neutral and free media. What's your view of the CBC? Are we not neutral and free? Well, the CBC certainly adheres to journalistic principles, if that's the question. If the question is, does... Does do, do, do the political preferences of those who work for the CBC individually or collectively tilt one direction or another? Um, you know, I think there is some evidence that that broadly speaking, it it, it tilts in a, in a left wing direction. But I think the focus on the, the the question of politics or ideology, in my mind, is secondary. It really comes back to the point I was making earlier. I must admit, I I. I respectfully disagree with with Sue. I think if you go back to the 1930s when the, when the CBC was established, it was solving a a particular problem, a problem that has over the years been solved by the market. And so um if if notwithstanding that, we still had questions around the uh credibility of the CBC or the um neutrality of the CBC, then those would be worth solving. Um but they're secondary in my mind. It it comes back to the technocratic um, point I made earlier, which is I just think the CBC is essentially exhausted its its purpose um, in what is increasingly a pretty dynamic market where most people are served with um, news information irrespective of where they are. 
I'm curious, though, and again, there's so many little points that, that I, I could make, but, you know, you mentioned, Sean, that uh, your podcast is, I think you said, eighth in its particular category in Canada, that the seven podcasts ahead of it on the list are CBC podcasts. To me, that sounds like a small indication that CBC is serving a niche there, that there are seven bigger audiences for public affairs podcasts than yours, and people are listening to those. Podcasting is just about the most democratized form of journalism that one can do, right? You need basically a phone and and uh, uh, and a recording device. Um, the idea that it, there's a role for a public broadcaster there that can bring to bear, you know, billion dollars in public subsidies that enables it to uh, cross advertise across its different platforms. It it just seems to me if you're thinking about scarcity of public dollars. Um, and the role for government intervention in different markets, the idea that we uh, we have a national interest or public interest in using taxpayer dollars to compete with my little podcast um, just strikes me as something that most Canadians wouldn't be um, convinced by, an argument that most Canadians wouldn't be convinced by. All right, Sue, the last time I asked you a question, I think you called it weird. So I'm going to try to perform better this time. Uh, we uh, <laughs> reached out to the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. That organization supports defunding the CBC. And I want to play uh, a piece of tape from Chris Sims, who's the Alberta director for the Canadian Taxpayers Association. Uh, let's listen. Simply put, it's tough to hold the government to account if you're counting on the government for your paycheck. That is why this is a deep and profound conflict of interest. No matter how hard journalists work to be balanced and otherwise unbiased, your paycheck is still coming from the government. This is why journalists should not be paid by the government. That is the view of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and it certainly echoes an argument, Sue, that I hear from many people. You worked here at the CBC in charge of our digital arm. What do you make of that argument? Yeah, I mean, it's a very common argument, and it's it's a reasonable argument to make, right? Because, um, you know, what happens is, you know, if you get your money from the federal government, which the CBC, of course, gets the parliamentary appropriation and other news organizations also now get tax breaks and things like that, right? And we've been talking about it recently in the context of the Online News Act, too. Um, and it is challenging because not only does it potentially compromise your actual editorial independence, but it also compromises people's view of your independence. It creates a perception issue, right? Now, in the case of the CBC, and again, democracies around the world have decided that to construct an organization that has maximum independence, particularly editorial, if you're from a news perspective, from the government is worth um, doing, even in light of that, right? But what could be done in Canada and, and what has been called for for a long time is increased independence from government in terms of how the parliamentary allocation is made, right? I don't know if you remember in a million years ago, we used to talk about, I think it was called stable funding, right? The idea mm -hmm. that the parliamentary allocation would be given out in five-year chunks, right? So that you didn't feel so much at the mercy of the government of the time. You had a little bit more independence, a little bit more freedom. That's the kind of answer that helps to solve that sort of problem. If you take as given that some government funding is going to go into some forms of news media, which has always been the case in our country and in other countries, and frankly, like, seems like it's going to increasingly need to be the case, potentially, at least while we're in this digital transition time where the advertising-supported media um, has a broken business model that's not working, right? There is going to be government funding in the industry, really regardless of whether we like it or not. And so, 
you know, setting it up in such ways that independence is preserved and the perception of independence is preserved is important. We did reach out to the CBC for an official response to the concern that uh, the funding to the CBC makes it inherently biased in covering the news. And here's a portion of a statement we received from Chuck Thompson, CBC's head of public affairs. CBC operates independently of the government and for anyone to suggest otherwise is simply not accurate. In fact, our funding does not come from the government. It comes from Parliament. That is part of the independence spelled out in law within the Broadcasting Act. Beyond that, the role of the Ombudsman is in place to ensure CBC News is held accountable in meeting our journalistic standards and practices. So we've been speaking to Sue Gardner, a digital media consultant, former executive director of Wikimedia Foundation. She also wrote The Future of Public Broadcasting, an article commissioned by the Knight Foundation. Sean Spear also with us, editor-at-large with The Hub, a former economic advisor to Stephen Harper, and they're here for the full two hours today, so we will get them to weigh in on your calls and to provide more context through the show. And in a few minutes, we'll hear from Globe Mail columnist Andrew Coyne on his pitch for a CBC subscription fee, but no public funding. And of course, in the meantime, we'd love to hear from you. Our question today, does Canada still need a public broadcaster? What do you want from the CBC? Our number, 1-888-416-8333. Our text number is 226-758-8924. So if you'd like to text a comment, you can call two two or text 226-758-8924. Some people connecting with us online, Don Turner via Aircheck on Vancouver Island wrote, while budget cuts have reduced the quality of programming over the years, CBC is still far ahead of the other available radio stations for news and information programs. With reporters from across Canada, the CBC keeps us informed on national issues not reported elsewhere. Canada would lose another enviable cultural identity if the CBC was lost. Keely Wilkinson in Mississauga, also via Aircheck, says, there's never been more need for a well-resourced, contemporary Temporary national public media service in Canada, but what we have now isn't it. CBC Radio Canada must be rethought for the 21st century. An essential first step is consultation with Canadians to ensure the domestic information and entertainment needs of the diverse population who share the northern half of North America are addressed. And Sandra Clark in Brussels, Belgium, emails an independent public broadcaster is essential. I realized a number of years ago this was remarkably absent in the USA. Any information they got via broadcast media is supported by commercial entities which use the medium to push their point of view. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. We are live on Cross Country Checkup and let's go to the phone. Some people waiting very patiently, including Abdi Muhammad. Abdi, how are you? I'm doing good, sir. Uh, do you feel Canada still needs a public broadcaster? Yes. And why? Uh, I have been listening to uh, uh, CBC since I came to Canada, 2002. And it really, it has. Uh, I have learned a lot through listening to CBC. I usually I receive impartial, what I think impartial in most cases, and uh, reliable information from CBC whether it is the local uh, station here in Calgary where I live or the national one. So I think it's, and also it uh, connects the Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's reporting from faraway places in Newfoundland or Nunavut or stuff like that. Uh, Everywhere it's reporting. And also I think it's uh, important to stay because uh, we have seen that uh, the private uh, institution uh, may not be reliable. We have seen 
Meta denying Canadians to access information when we needed most and the fire was burning in many places. So I think it's very, very important to have the CBC. Abdi, you live in Calgary, one of the biggest cities in Canada. Lots of radio options there, lots of private broadcasters. Why not listen to them? Yeah, you are right. There are many stations, but really, uh, uh, when I came to Canada, I was trying, I have been always uh, being a, a radio listening, a listener before I came here. I used to listen to the C, uh, BBC or Voice of America or uh, the radio, uh, Bogodisho radio station in Somalia. I always liked the public uh, broadcaster. So when I came here, I tried to find a good station, a radio station, and I was searching, searching. Nobody guided me, nobody told me. One night, I, I stumbled over the CBC, and I, in the morning when I get up for work, I say, let me try, and it is still there, CBC. I say, this is my radio. I liked it. I didn't know it was CBC or government uh, public broadcast. I didn't know. Later on, I found out that. So I, I tried over the years different stations, but I never seen any that really satisfies me as much as, uh, as CBC. Well, Abdi, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. And I should say to those of you who are listening as well, we are very much open to a wide range of opinions. You've heard a little bit of that so far in the program from our panel, for sure. Uh, And I'd love to hear that from you. And as I said, kind of going beyond just the slogans of loving or hating the CBC or public broadcasting and more about, as we heard from Abdi, the reasons behind, in his case, his support for the public broadcaster. But if you're not supportive, uh, there's definitely room for your voice as well on the program. We're live here, 1-888-416-8333, or you can connect online, cbc.ca slash Air check. Michelle Iclef is in Gibson's British Columbia. Hi, Michelle. Hi there. I guess Iclef, I think, is how you pronounce your name, right? Yes, it is. It's okay. actually Eclef, but everybody says it the way it's spelled, so it's Iclef. <laughs> okay, Iclef it is. Well, if that's okay with you, Michelle. Um, how do you feel about uh, the role of a public broadcaster in Canada and, and what you want and expect from the CBC? All right. I, I, I want the CBC to exist. Mm-hmm. I, but I'm going to try and narrow this down from my perspective right now sure. after being, I mean, I moved to Canada as an immigrant when I was 14 years old, English speaking, um, didn't have a problem. I learned to be a Canadian as your previous caller did too, by listening to Peter Zosky, Stuart McLean, all these people who gave us a perspective on Canada. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try and sort of fire tighten this up to just radio because I'm an avid radio listener. I carry an AM radio around with me. I live by myself. I'm over 70. I, the CBC has been my world, you know, admiring all everything from all the research and science and ideas and all the shows there. But I literally do not watch CBC television anymore. I've gone Mm -hmm. digital. I don't bother with that. I, my, I can pick and choose what I want. I give, kudos to the CBC for going into digital early on compared to other people. I think they were sort of uh, following along with the BBC who were doing the same thing at the same time. I am that way. I listen to podcasts and I have to be able to do my program now because I cannot listen to the AM radio live local anymore. It is not aimed toward me. The programming is completely missing it. I'm turning the radio off. 
because of repeat shows or ones that are targeted toward a demographic that has nothing to do with me. It's not general anymore. It seems to be focused in on certain groups and certain people that have no, I have no interest in that anymore. It's just repeats. And I think, I think with all the, the innovation that's going on, they've missed the fact that there are people like me who are consumers at this end. Not, I'm not a journalist. I'm just a regular person who was a housewife who raised kids. And I, I can't, there's nothing for me to listen there. Mm-hmm. I, they've missed me. I mean, I, I, I could looked up a couple of statistics when I knew the show was going to be on. Mm-hmm. And I, it uh, said about 72% of people listen to radio traditional manner, AM, FM radio, and mm-hmm. they don't do it digitally. And when I heard Catherine Tate's interview with Pia a couple last week or a couple weeks ago, and she was giving herself a pat on the back for how she, how CBC was there for all the people in, you know, in the Okanagan when they had to, uh, you know, leave their homes, mm-hmm. the CBC radio was there for them to connect. Cause they, but I said, whoa, whoa, are you the same woman who, just announced a few months ago that you were going to be phasing out broadcast radio like traditional AM, FM radio and going completely digital and just chopping the AM off. And I thought, what happens if there's an earthquake here? This is what a public broadcaster is for, is we can put that on and there's not going to be a car ad between when they're telling us when the bridges have fallen (laughs) or where to go Uh, and all this Michelle, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I I want to jump in and ask you a follow-up. So as I understand it, then you carry an AM radio with you. I sort of do that too in the house, although I've switched to the CBC Listen app on my phone when I'm outside the house. But you carry around an AM radio. You clearly have been a listener and fan and still are to an, well, a listener at least, of of CBC radio. Um, You know, you're in the the broadcast area of uh, the morning radio program from CBC Vancouver, early edition, which is the one I listen to as well. It has a big audience, like a big share of the Vancouver market. You feel it no longer connects with you? Uh, there are sections of it. I mean, I, I'm going to get. I'm going to say something here that your name actually came up in a discussion I had because I did talk to the ombudsman about this because I was very upset about one thing. Mm-hmm. And I know the CBC has very much gone into, a, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion hires. Mm-hmm. And there's one local reporter who's who's uh, Indian, okay. So we not, definitely well, we definitely don't yeah. want to mention names no, or we won't yeah. go in that, but. He has English as a second language. It could be any language. It could be anything, French, German, whatever. But the person is incomprehensible. You, he, they give a report that they, I don't even need to say he. Yeah. And I asked, I'm saying, why is this happening? Um, and I got such an abusive response, calling me racist, calling me saying I didn't understand how the world was becoming. And I said, no, he, ha- he, needs- okay. he doesn't have to All have right. a face for radio. So Michelle, he have a voice for radio. Yeah, Michelle, let me, so I, I, pre- I do appreciate your call. I mean, there's a little danger with that particular example, right? And, and you know where, you know, you're coming from and you sound like a thoughtful radio listener. There'll be people who will listen to that and, and dismiss it as, as you know, uh, being intolerant. So let me just jump in and say, let, let, let's put that all aside because we could, we could sort of go back and forth on that for a while. I will say this for sure and move away from whoever you have in mind because I don't want to embarrass that person or or put their work on the air on trial. Um, 
diversity comes in many ways, and one of the ways it comes is in the way people sound. And there was a long time at all broadcasters, including the CBC, where there was a sound and it did not include even a hint of accents, unless that accent was British, I would say. Um, and uh, and now it's different. You can have accents that aren't British or kind of neutral Canadian uh, or, or, or French, I guess. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of a, you know, listen, I, I, you, see, you seem like a very thoughtful person, but I, I worry a little bit about that uh, part of the conversation. How about we jump ahead and let, let me ask you this, Michelle, if I may, um, and then I need to, to move on. Um, if there's one thing that you would ask the CBC to do for you, to kind of reconnect with you, what would it be? Um, CBC in general, I know I can only look at it sort of more from the radio because that's what it's winnowed down to. Um, I would like to, it to go back to less and less um, opinion on things, being into it and to being a little more balanced. Um, I. Um, the science shows I love, I mean, I listen to all the science. I listen to ideas and mm-hmm. I find, but, but I mean, I'm, I'm 70 years old. Um, I, and I, but I am digitally aware and good at it too. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I've got my earbuds in here. I'm mm-hmm. not on a landline, which I don't have anymore. <laughs> yep. And, and I think they sort of lost the thread as to who's listening. I, I find it, I couldn't even get statistics. They're not okay. even keeping statistics about okay. who's listening. You know. Well, well, Michelle, I appreciate you uh, calling in, and uh, this is a live show, as I think people can tell, and we are yeah. looking for different points of view, as I think people can tell, and uh, and it's good that you uh, felt that you could call us up and uh, and and kind of articulate your your point of view, Michelle. So thank you. All right. <laughs> they need to keep rebroadcasting all the old radio shows to keep you know, keep us. I wish they'd bring some of the old Peter Zofke ones back. Yeah, actually, that's a, that's a cool idea, or at least put it on CBC. The CBC Listen app would be neat. All right, thank you very much. You are listening to Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hennemansing in Vancouver. Our phone number here one eight 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 four one six eight three three three. And our question: Does Canada still need a public broadcaster? What do you want from the CBC? Now there are. People who feel like we shouldn't get any taxpayer money and uh, some people who want full government funding and no advertising. Globe Mail columnist Andrew Coyne is one that believes that CBC should move away from government funding or to put it bluntly, shouldn't have government funding and that move perhaps to a subscription-based model. Andrew joins us now from Toronto. Hi. Hi, Ian. How are you? I am well. Uh, so uh, you feel like we should change our funding model here at the CBC. Um, explain your point of view. Well, let me first of all say what it's not really about. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily about the quality or the alleged bias or the uh, ratings of the CBC. And I certainly get very alarmed when I see people on the right talking about how we need to defund the CBC because they've been saying mean things about us. That is a terrible reason to make any a change in policy, whether it's true or whether it's false. For me, it's much more about, is it still necessary? And the way I, the best way I can explain that is when you go, let's go back to the world of television, when the CBC was founded, when the CRTC was founded, when we set up the whole uh, president apparatus of policy, there were two networks, you know, maybe three. There was, uh, you could only get your television signal over the air. People watched it on a box in the living room. Uh, and th- there were two things to say about that world. One was, there were only the two or three networks or however many there were. So your choices were limited to begin with. 
but they were even more limited because the only way that you could pay for TV, since you couldn't, there's no way to restrict the signal to those who paid for it, was through advertising. And advertising finance inevitably biased TV towards the largest possible audience. You could only watch what everybody else wanted to watch. And with only three networks, that meant a whole lot of crushing sameness. And when you think about it, that's not how most markets work. You go into your average grocery store, there's hundreds and thousands of different offerings catering to every conceivable taste. So this business of not being able to pay directly for it was a fatal flaw. And it meant there was a good argument for policy to fill in the gap for regulation and for subsidy, basically to try to recreate the kind of wide range of offerings that you'd find in a well-functioning market. Well, what's the world we're in now? There are hundreds and if not thousands of, of actual TV station channels that you can find through cable and satellite. If you include the internet, you're basically into the millions with all the different podcasts and YouTube channels, et cetera. And you can pay not only for each network, you can pay for each individual program. And increasingly, of course, that's what people do. I'm not sure people even look at the TV listings anymore. You know, they don't watch the programming when the networks tell them they can watch it. They watch what they want to watch when they want to watch it. They pay uh, through their, you know, directly through their uh, through their provider for it. Uh, and so all of the reasoning that went into making the case for subsidy and regulation in the first part, it seems to me, has kind of fallen to the ground. You can find everything you could possibly want uh, on TV now or indeed on the Internet. And the big divide now is not between public and private TV in terms of the range of offerings on. It's between free TV and pay TV. It, people sometimes say that TV's never been worse than it is now. We talk about all the reality shows, et cetera. And it's never been better than it is now when you talk about The Wire or The Sopranos. Well, when you look at where the good stuff is, it's all on pay TV. So it turns out, because it turns out a, a paying audience is a very discerning and very demanding one. They want their money's mm -hmm. worth. So I'll just, I just want to finish on that last sure. one, which is I think this would be the best thing for the CBC in the long run. That rather than having, right now they're caught where they're, they're selling ads, they're getting public funding, they're trying to look over their shoulders at the regulator, they're looking over their shoulders at the advertisers. If you make it a, a, a subscription fee model, then it's very clear who the CBC is making programming for. It's making programs for its audience, and that's how it should be. Now, I'm not clear as you lay out that model if you're talking about, because CBC is involved in so many different kinds of broadcasting, if you're talking about sort of the primetime entertainment shows and the news, because when I think of the United States, they have a huge problem with polarized news coverage and echo chambers and people who watch one news channel would never imagine watching another one. And yet they have all these these pay services, these subscription services that do really high quality television programs, but none of them, I think, offer news programs at all. And then add the fact that we have such a small population. But do you see this subscription model also supporting news coverage by whatever the CBC would become in Canada? I don't see any reason not. We're facing the same problem in print. And of course, print and video are all basically turning into the same thing. The CBC is now one of the biggest publishers in, in the country. The publishers themselves are increasingly producing video. Uh, so the news business is making the same migration from advertising finance with all of its problems uh, to, to reader finance. And lo and behold, uh, the ones that are making the trek are finding they have a much better relationship with their audience. They're not producing clickbait. They're producing, a, 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 they're establishing a relationship with their readers, uh, which that involves longer term considerations and overall quality. So I think that's actually where, where the news business should be going, whether it's video or whether it's print, is also towards print. But let me say, 
you know, it doesn't have to be one size fits all. I'm just talking about, you know, a, a basic idea that can be applied to the extent that we want to apply it. If there's niches that people think still couldn't be served under a, a subscription fee model, so be it. But the broad public, the, the, the sort of flagship one size fits all uh, traditional broadcaster like the main channel, the main English channel, uh, I'm not sure that's really relevant in today's world anymore. Uh, and, and, you know, you can make people pay for it. Uh, but you can't make them watch it. And that's the that's the trouble with a lot of the subsidy arguments is it assumes, well, we'll, we'll pay for it through taxes and therefore people will get all the benefit from it because, of course, they'll turn in to watch it and they don't. One last question for you, Andrew. I'll start it off with a glib example, but then I'll continue with, with better examples. Uh, the glib example is what would happen if a subscription model wouldn't support the ad issue panel on Thursday, <laughs> which, you know, honestly, and I'm not saying this just to be nice to you, like it's much watch, it's must watch TV uh, in terms of political analysis. It's fantastic. But but what if there weren't enough subscribers in your model to pay for it? Or, or let me put a give you a couple more examples that don't involve you. Um, again, I think of the morning uh, local radio stations across the country um, in big cities and small cities that at least, you know, even in Vancouver, maybe different in Toronto, but in Vancouver, there's nothing like the the, the morning radio show early edition uh, offered up by, by private broadcasters because, you know, they've been hammered. Radio stations have been hammered just like newspapers have. Um, and, and of course, we've heard of, you know, serving smaller markets and, and that sort of thing. But but I guess the question to you, Andrew, is what if there is important quality programming that a fair number of people do rely on from the CBC that wouldn't be supported by a subscriber model? Well, I could answer your glib question with a, with a glib answer, which is what if the globe uh, couldn't finds it can't get people to support it? Uh, I think we basically say tough tough beans. Uh, mm -hmm. Either people, you know, you either produce a product people want or you don't. There's nothing stopping people from paying for uh, quality programming or quality newspapers. And in fact, it turns out there's an audience for both. So if there's nothing stopping them, as there used to be, it used to be there was something stopping them from paying. But now there's no longer anything stopping them from paying. So now you're getting the question of what do we use scarce tax dollars for? And the basic argument I would make is we use scarce tax dollars for things that can be only paid for through taxes. If we don't, if we pay for things that could be paid for through subscription fees or user fees, if we pay for those things with taxes, then we're shortchanging the things that can only be paid for through taxes. And I don't think that's good public policy. So the, the onus should always be on anybody who's making a claim on, on tax dollars to show the absolute necessity of it. This, this is the only way that this can, this can be produced. People want it and would be willing to pay for it if they could, but they simply can't. Uh, if they can, if they can pay for it, all the things that people say about how much people value the CBC, which I'm sure is true, uh, those people would be absolutely willing to pay for it once you give them the chance. Well, whether I agree with you or not, as I see you on Ad Issue or here, your analysis is always uh, really easy to follow and very smart. And so, Andrew, thank you very much for uh, connecting with us. My pleasure. Andrew Coyne is a columnist at The Globe and Mail. We reached him in Toronto. Um, let's get another view of public broadcasting in this country. Steve Pakin has been a public broadcaster for decades. He worked for the CBC, but probably in Ontario, best known as host of The Agenda at TV Ontario. We asked him earlier whether he was optimistic about the future of public broadcasting, and here's what Steve said. I think that we are at a time where the misinformation and disinformation out there in a media landscape that doesn't look anything like what it looked like when I was coming up in the business three and four decades ago, obligates us, behooves us 
to support a public broadcaster today more than ever because there's just so much crap out there that is not credible. It's nice to think that there's something out there that actually still has standards that care about empirically provable facts. Normally, I'm a half glass full person. Normally, I'm very optimistic about the future. But public broadcasting, I don't know, it looks so dark out there, doesn't it? I mean, the storm clouds overhead are so threatening. I think the need for it is higher than ever. But we public broadcasters also have an obligation to remind people why we're in business, the good work that we do do. When we get it wrong, we need to apologize for it and let everybody know that. It it behooves us all to do the best we can and with a little humility at the same time. That is Steve Pakin, the host of TVO's The Agenda. The show is actually not on the air right now because Steve and his colleagues at TVO are on strike. We're going a full two hours on our main topic today. Whether you love or hate the CBC, we would love to hear your point of view. Our question, does Canada still need a public broadcaster? What do you want from the CBC? We have uh, just about 90 seconds left on CBC News Network. And so let me start our next call. Kathleen Connell is uh, calling uh, us from Ontario. Hi, Kathleen. Hi there. Um, as you may know, if you listen to the program, I, I may interrupt you here uh, because we're going to go off of uh, television in just a moment. But uh, yep. do you do you feel Canada still needs a public broadcaster? I do, but I feel like it needs to be having a voice of a conservative voice permission to speak. Um, that's my big thing. My mom said um, a man convinced a man convinced against as well as of the same opinion still. And um, the the point is, is that we need to win people over, um, not by um, judgment or or words that are have one one stream of thought, but that there's able to be open debate. Um, so I'm not I am conservative, but I am an environment environmentalist. I'm a conservative, but I'm also for equality. I'm a con- I, I feel as if, you know, there's a lot of my conservative friends who completely would go along with some things and other things financially. Maybe they, they have more of a camp of a conservative type of finance. Mm-hmm. So, and it's having a voice and not feeling like your voice isn't heard. And Ka- I have turned the radio off many times. Yeah, Kathleen, I'm going to cut you off now, not because okay. you're a conservative voice, and I am going to no, come back I to you. No, but I do love, I love the show. Yeah, I'm going to come back to you. Them. I'm going to come back yeah, to you, so you. please, please don't hang up. Uh, but it is that time in the hour to say goodbye to our TV viewers. We, we will continue our program on radio. Rosemary Barton Live is next on CBC News Network. I'm speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You are listening to Cross Country Checkup, Hour 2. We're live on CBC Radio, and we're staying on our main topic today for the remainder of the show, and it's an important one. The CBC is nearly 90 years old. The media landscape, completely different than it was back in 1936. Technology is changing. Viewers' habits are changing. Some might argue that is a reason to defund the CBC, while others feel that is exactly why the need for a public broadcaster is stronger than ever. Tell us what you think. Our number, one 416 Our text number is 226-758-8924. And let's continue our conversation with Kathleen Connell, who's calling us from Ontario. If you were listening a few moments ago, you know that she describes herself as a conservative environmentalist. And Kathleen, you were telling us that uh, you listen to CBC Radio, but you feel there needs to be more room for conservative voices. And though you, you talked a little bit about that, tell us more of of how it feels for you to listen to CBC Radio. Okay, so I feel very dismissed, and I also very much feel feel, feel judged. Um, so sometimes you have, like Bruce Anderson said, you know, conservatives that are this way and this way and that way, and we we're, can't all be painted with one brush. We have a big variety, a lot of very intelligent academics, uh, like, uh, you know, people, people moving kind of friends of mine um, who have a real compassion for the world, compassion for each other. There hasn't been a lot of compassion for those who have an alternate voice um, to be able to speak. Mm-hmm. And I have felt many times, even at my workplace, where if I dared to say anything alternate, for example, the vaccination, I was never an anti-vaxxer, but because I postponed my vaccination, so just to wait a little bit and see, I was all of a sudden called an anti-vaxxer, which, by the way, I am vaccinated. I probably mm-hmm. with a bit of uh, resentment because I felt like my my ability to debate wasn't my, and to be heard. I was immediately called an anti-vaxxer, which was a label that I think was unfair. Mm-hmm. And there, because, you know, I wasn't going around saying, don't you get vaccinated? I was saying I'm going to wait a little bit because I'm cautious for my family. Right. And so I think there's a lot of people who have that sentiment, which actually from some of my children is driving them to change their stance because they feel that like originally you said uh, something about how some people are starting to see that there's been too much of a one voice in this. And some of my children are are changing. They're all university grads and they are like it hasn't been fair. People are not naive that there needs to be some ability to debate whether we agree or disagree we need to have a voice. And that's how I feel. I feel no voice. Yeah. Um, I, you know, is, it, it's yeah. interesting because I, I grew up in a household and uh, with a group of friends where we debated everything all the time, almost to a fault. But part of that 100%. was also to like play, you know, devil's advocate and, and take all kinds of different points of view on something. Um, at the same time, you know, th- there's certain things that are... You know, there are certain things that are beyond debate, right? And and so let's say, trying to think of an example, you know, it might have to do with, with tolerance of a group of people. And it's not like, yeah. you know, you're going to debate, well, should we should we tolerate them or not? Is that, you know, of course not. No, there's, yeah. there's you know. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to come up with examples. I don't, I don't want to put you in a position where you get into a, a dangerous situation. But you gave the example of a vaccine. So that's interesting. So, so let me say, maybe we'll finish with this, Kathleen. If, and I asked a version of this to somebody earlier, and I put this question 
to anyone who's listening now uh, to to weigh in on it at one 416 For CBC programmers, including our team yeah. here at Cross Country Checkup, but other programmers I'm sure are listening as well, what's one piece of advice you'd give us to try to, let me put it this way, to try to win you back? Uh, I would say to win us back, um, so you have somebody with one perspective and another perspective, and you can say this is a conservative perspective if you want, or this is a more of a liberal perspective, but they have an opportunity to speak. Like, hey, we have a, we have a certain things that we believe in our family, but we're like, you learn about other things too. Like, learn how we're, and, and be compassionate and empathetic with one another. So they don't believe what I believe, but we still, above all things, we are a, wanting to be a united people. We don't like this division. Nobody likes division. So let's stop with any divisive words, any, any like labels, those kind of things. Let's undo those things and let's start saying, okay, we're one for people. We might not always agree, but let's also just respect one another with word, our words. And that's for both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. I don't take, I don't align myself with anybody who's being disrespectful to anybody. So that is what I would love personally. Mm-hmm. And I would also love it to be, you know, this is a perspective of this, group um, and not all be labeled this one thing. We all are non-environmentalists. We're all, you know, uh, we don't, we're all um, anti this and anti that. And we have this, these agendas, which we don't all. Some people are conservatives because of uh, finance. Others are because of their belief system or they feel like they don't have a right mm-hmm. to speak in their schools. Yep. Those kind of things. So, Cat- the, so there is, the, and I want to say there is a rising a sentiment for this, I believe, because it's becoming a debate. It's on the radio. And if you hear your voice hasn't been heard for a long time, one day you're going to blow, possibly. And maybe people who would have never become an anti-vaxxer or never become a certain way may, may go more because they feel they, they can't even talk about any of the way they feel. My daughter went to McMaster, and she said there were only a very few amount of conservatives in one of her class, which was poli sci. My daughter's very smart. And they couldn't speak because if they did, they were, they were very much shut down every time. Yeah. So there was no freedom of debate, even if it, even if people don't agree. Mm-hmm. Let's just love each. Let's just get over it, and you know, and and uh, at okay. least have a bridge, a bridge. It, yeah. Um, yeah, for each other, right? So yeah, I mean, you know, the vaccine one again, you, you know, is an interesting one because there are definitely things about the vaccine debate which just are true or not true, but there are also things that that are debatable. And so, uh, listen, Kathleen, thank you very much for calling. Um, I think you've given people who are listening uh, some food for thought, and that's exactly one of the things we want to do here on the program. So I appreciate that. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And I would say this program is all about hearing different thoughtful points of view. It's interesting. One of the, one of the things Kathleen talked about is, uh, is to kind of lower the temperature and to allow different points of view without being angry. I remember kind of saying that on Twitter one time and then being scolded for, quote unquote, tone policing. Um, we can have lots of vigorous fact-based or what we believe are fact-based debates with sharply different opinions and still keep it civil um, for sure and not tone police by saying it's nice to keep things civil. We do a pretty good job here, I think, on Cross Country Checkup of keeping it civil. Let's go to Jeffrey Beckner, who's in Kitchener, Ontario. Hi, Jeffrey. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing well. So do you feel Canada still needs a public broadcaster? Absolutely, yes. And this program is a perfect example of why. 
Um, it's been absolutely incredible in terms of I'm looking at four pages worth of um, ideas coming from myself and from the other callers, and I can say that the previous callers have actually made uh, the point for keeping it. Uh, first of all, it's the best money for the um, for our tax dollars. Number one, um, and but in terms of the other callers, so first of all, for me, uh, it's incredibly objective, informative, stimulating, um, put me in touch with things in the community such that I've actually participated with the community, dialogue with community, made presentations, supported others and, and other groups and otherwise, and listened to op- opposing opinions, uh, sometimes to the point of where I'm biting my tongue listening to it. <laughs> that said, the previous caller was able to do that, mm-hmm. and so she was actually making my point one of the points for that is, you know, the multiple perspectives, because I would be diametrically opposed to that person, mm-hmm. you know, opinionated. Um, on the other hand, I'm also on the, the other spectrum. I'm, I'm only, I've only got grade 12. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not college educated. That's why I had to write out my ideas on paper to figure all this stuff out. Mm. Um, but that said, um, you know, the uh, when you put out the original mandate, I'm going to go and hit on, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that that was it. But yes, 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 yes. Very objective, uh, very informative. Um, dialogue for sure. As soon as we got um, the morning edition CBC in Kitchener, mm-hmm. um, I've, 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 got, I've been on CBC and that's my radio station all day long. Mm-hmm. And it's turned me on to so many different things within the community, nationally and otherwise, and multiple perspectives. And um, and, and back right. to this, they're making a point. Andrew Coyne happened to mention, I th- think it was him that said, you know, you got to think of it in the supermarket, we have all this variety and all these choices. Mm-hmm. And when indeed that's not the case. It's not the case at all. We've got less and less variety and less and less um, because, you know, it has to have a certain something or other, the shelf yeah. space, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to be okay. there. And so lots of things that used to be there are not there anymore. Yeah. So the variety is not the same that, that he had said. But back yeah. to this is that um, it's the most informative, um, inclusive, uh, you name it. I mean, it's just all the superlatives. Okay. Listen, Jeffrey, I really appreciate your call. I mean, people are listening going, of course he appreciates the call because here's somebody who's being very uh, filled with praise about the CBC. But I think it is a, an example of uh, of the wide range of, uh, of opinions but we I have. But I also had to make the effort to, to you know, pay attention to the phones coming up. And I was searching, waiting for the phone number. I, I hand-dialed the number 25 times to get yeah. through. Okay. And so, you know, there's, a, again, a case of, of inclusivity, All if right. you will. Thank you very, thank you very much, Jeffrey. I really appreciate that. Point. Well, what's that? There's one quick point, and that okay, is that one there's the advantage, yeah. and then there's this disadvantage. And the advantage often makes choices for the the disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And I find that y- you guys are in the middle, yeah. you know, in in terms of that and covering that. So okay. thank you very much. I appreciate yeah. to have the input, and um, I'm just. This is such a fulsome program. Um, Absolutely wonderful. Thanks ever so much. Thank you ever so much. Uh, Our number here on Cross Country Checkup is 1-888-416-8333. You can also text us at 226-758-8924. Does Canada still need a public broadcaster? What do you want from the CBC? I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver, and Cross Country Checkup is live here on CBC Radio. 
Um, we mentioned CBC's mandate uh, on the show. That mandate is currently under review by the federal government. It was announced by the previous uh, federal heritage minister, Pablo Rodriguez, back in May. Pascal Saint-Ange is Canada's new heritage minister. We invited her to be on today's show earlier this week, but she was not available for an interview. We've explored CBC's relevance and questions raised about CBC bias. So let's talk a little bit more about funding. We have two different voices who have two different answers to the questions we're posing today. Sean Spear doesn't believe Canada needs a public broadcaster anymore. He's the editor-at-large with The Hub. And uh, he's a former economic advisor to Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And Sue Gardner worked at CBC as the head of the website cbc.ca and is now a digital consultant. Uh, welcome back to both of you. Thanks for your patience waiting through that first hour. Um, Sean Peter Menzies is a former vice chairman of telecommunications at the CRTC. He's now a senior fellow at the McDonnell Laurier Institute. And he says the CBC should stop selling ads to remove commercial pressure from its programming and that the government should make up the difference in terms of funding. For example, that means the government would give the CBC more than $600 million in 2022 if it stopped accepting ad revenue and wanted to top up the total budget. Um, what do you think of, of that proposal, Sean? Yeah, I, I think there's something to it in the sense that, um, particularly in the current media environment, having a public broadcaster compete with private players for scarce uh, ad dollars is only exacerbating the challenges that that, that they're facing. Um, but um, it seems to me that the first order of business is to right-size this, the CBC and that as we discussed in the earlier segment, goes back to asking, I think, tough questions about where are the ongoing market gaps um, and how do we reconfigure the CBC to ensure that it remains, um, that maintains fidelity to the, to the idea that its function is to support the market, not compete with the market. Um, there was a lot of really interesting things um, said, Ian, um, by the different callers and, and of course, Andrew Coyne. The only point, if, if I may, um, take up is the is that and you mentioned it earlier as well that one of the things that the cbc like not just public institutions but all sorts of institutions are grappling with is how to um make sure that uh, different voices and different people and different perspectives um that for too long have been excluded from the public square are part of the public square and i think um it's to the credit of the CBC that it's it sought to do that. I, I think what we heard though towards the end from some of the callers is is a concern that um that CBC may be overreaching, it may be cor- overcorrecting in that sense. And 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 one of the consequences is that it's losing a kind of big picture story. And I think one of the justifications for a, a public broadcaster going forward, um, even a um a significantly shrunken one, it seems to me, is to make sure to that it is. In whatever whatever we ask of it, that it is both um, playing the role of bringing voice to those voices, the marginalized voices or or underrepresented voices, but not at the expense of of the the kind of bigger meta story. And I, I think it is interesting that at least two or three listeners um, uh, express the view that the CBC may be overcorrecting, and and I have to say that's my own personal sense as well. Um, and, and so I think part of the the justification the CBC will have to make um, that it that it has an ongoing role to play is is trying to strike a, a better balance um, between those two important um, responsibilities. 
Sue, I was going to ask you about this notion of uh, of increasing government funding for the CBC to so that it wouldn't need advertising anymore. You can weigh in on that or, as Sean did towards the end, just uh, react to what you heard uh, in the first hour of the program. Sure. Um, sure. Yeah. So what Peter Menzies, I think, um, is proposing is that uh, the CBC get out of the business of commercial revenues um, and that the government make up the difference, right? The $500 million or whatever it would be that, that would then be a deficit for the CBC. And I think that there is pretty close to consensus among many players that the CBC should get out of the business of commercial revenues, right? Lots of people are saying that. The CBC itself has taken that position at various times, sometimes pro, sometimes con, um, but has sometimes taken that position itself. Um, I think the CBC should get out of the business of commercial revenues because, not because, there, there is the argument that it should get out of the business of, that, of, of seeking advertising dollars because it is distorting the marketplace and it is unfairly competing with its $1.2 billion government subsidy with commercial actors, right? That is one argument that is put forward for why CBC should get out of commercial revenues. That's not the argument that I think is most important. I think the most important argument is that the CBC needs to be and understand itself to be and function in the country as a public service institution, right? It is not part of the market. It's not supposed to be part of the market. It's not supposed to be. It's not designed to be subject to commercial pressures, right? If it were going to be that, why would we put our tax dollars into funding it, right? If it's part of the market, it's part of the market. Mm -hmm. So I'm in favor of that. Um, And uh, I think the real question is, yes, does the government then make up the difference or not, right? Um, And I do think that some of the reason perhaps that CBC has ended up uh, in the C-18 pool, right, the Online News Act pool, is because that would theoretically replace some money if the CBC were to get out of advertising revenue. Um, I want to go back, if you don't mind, um, Ian, I want to take a second and go back to Andrew Coyne. So Andrew Coyne argued for a user pay model um, for the CBC. Mm -hmm. And I want to take that seriously for a minute um, because I think it's really easy to kind of gesture at that. But I think it's worth unpacking it a little bit. None of this is new, right? None of this is unexplored terrain. Like there have been enough experiments around the world. We've seen many different forms of public broadcasting. It is not... New ideas, right? These are these are well trod. All of these are well trod ground. User pay is the closest that we have to user pay in the public broadcasting landscape is NPR and PBS, right? The United States is a massive outlier in terms of how it handles its public media. In the United States, it's something like a little bit less than two dollars of public funding goes per capita per person per year into public media. Other countries, the average is $88 per person per year. In Canada, 32, 33, 34, depending on what year you're looking at. And so the United States is a massive outlier. NPR, um, funded largely by corporate sponsorships, but also um, user pay, right? Like voluntary donations from ordinary people. So we know where that leads you, right? We know that some of the criticisms of the CBC currently are that it is out of touch with ordinary people, right? It is not speaking about the issues that are relevant to people. Um, People like the caller, uh, Kathleen from Tiny, Ontario, she was talking about feeling like there's no home for her, right? She doesn't hear herself, her positions reflected on things. Um, NPR is generally, the criticisms of NPR are that, but amplified, right? NPR is generally understood to be a pretty elite 
chattering classes talking shop. And I would argue that that is because NPR is user-funded, right? And so if you're user-funded, you're looking for people, you're looking for audiences who are super into what you're doing, right? That's what you end up serving. And so people who are really interested in news and current affairs, super interested in the new books, super interested in science news, whatever, those are the people you're going to serve because you need them to pay you, right? You need their money. And mm -hmm. so you're going to orient towards them and do your best to meet their needs. Right. And I would argue, and I'm going to wrap up in a second, but I would argue, <laughs> no, I am, but I would argue that's the tip of the iceberg, right? Everybody listening to this program, Ian, is one of those people, as are you and as am I, right? And Sean, we are all those people. We are all news-interested people. The bigger problem right now is what is coming to be called news-avoidant people, right? Or news-reluctant people. That's the problem. Kathleen is one of those people. I have lots of friends who are those people. More and more people faced with limitless choice in how to spend their leisure time. They can play video games. They can watch Netflix. They can listen to obscure true crime podcasts. They are choosing to do those things. That is bad for the country. We want to have an informed citizenry, right? And so you don't want business models. You don't want user pay type business models that lead you to center news interested people at the expense of the news reluctant because the news reluctant are a big issue. CBC's job is to serve all of the people in this country. That includes people who are currently feeling alienated, patronized and unheard. Mm -hmm. All right. And, and the only reason that I kind of chuckled there a little bit earlier is that you're just such a uh, savvy guest, Sue, that uh, when I started making sounds on the microphone, which is the only cue I can give each of you that, uh, you know, we have to move on, you, you picked right up on that and said, oh, I'm going to finish in a sec. I do my best. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's it's uh, it's it's really good. Listen, I'm going to um, beg the indulgence of both of you. I, I do have more questions here, um, and I know you're sticking around. I'm going to come back to you um, at least once, but probably twice more before the end of the hour. But I really do want to get to more calls right now. So, um, so I apologize uh, if I'm cutting this part short, but uh, you were just listening to Sue Gardner, a digital media consultant and former executive director of the Wikimedia Foundation, also worked at cbc.ca, and Sean Spear, an editor-at-large with The Hub, former economic advisor to Prime Minister Stephen Harper. And as I just mentioned, we will hear from them again. Our phone number here on Cross Country Checkup is one eight 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 four one six eight three three three. You can also connect through cbc.ca slash aircheck. I'm Ian Hanamansing, and we are live. Jennifer Noble is calling from Hamilton. Hi, Jennifer. Hello. Uh, how um, do you feel? Uh, what would you? What do you want from the CBC? Well, I really love the CBC, and uh, but I feel that it is kind of missing the mark in 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 some ways. Mm -hmm. First of all, let's take for an example, like a concrete example, the trucker thing that happened across the country. So I was, I was listening to CBC radio, and, and I think I watched some TV too. And I'm thinking, okay, well, what are their points of view? Nothing. Oh, these people are, are white supremacists. These are nefarious people. This is, but, and that wasn't what I was getting from people that I knew who, were, who had gone or who were close to the place. And I'm thinking, what's going on here? This is a disconnect. And, and people... This is a big country. People don't drive across a country this big for no reason. So I really wanted to hear what they were, why they had gone, why they put closed down their life, and I did not get that. And I think that's really, really unfair. And I think that that whole um, thing that happened with when Trump got in, right? And people said, "Oh, we that that took us, uh, you know, out of. We didn't know what was happening. Well, it was because we weren't listening to." to the other side. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
as the public broadcaster, your job is to give both sides. And even when that's uncomfortable, well, like what, we seem to be in this place where we can't hold two opinions in, in the same conversation and not, you know, have everybody's head explode. Like, let's talk about these things. Let's bring these things, um, you know, uh, and, but it's, it's details and points of view. For instance, I depend on CBC for when an election comes up to know wh- who's, you know, who I should vote for. Mm-hmm. And so often I hear, oh, well, this person's going to win. Well, this person's maybe not going to win. This person's going to be, this person is now wearing a blue sweater. Who cares what color sweater somebody's wearing? Mm-hmm. I don't care about that. I want to so, know what people stand for mm-hmm. on different issues, and I want to know how one one party um, stands as compared to another party. And, you know, I, I'm not getting that kind of nitty-gritty thing. Yeah. It's interesting that you had Steve Pakin on because Steve's pro- um, pro- program is very kind of in-depth, and I feel like to listen to his program, you kind of need to have, you know, you need to have a, a, an in-depth enough understanding of the political scene here. Uh, but that's not supported by the regular news and by the other pro- programs. Yeah. You know, Jennifer, my role in this program today uh, is, mm-hmm. a, is a tricky one, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. I work for CBC. I'm not here as a spokesperson to CBC, but I, mm-hmm. I'm going to play the role and have been that I would on any topic. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I will say, first of all, love hearing your, your point of view and your, your voice. You, you, mm-hmm. There's a lot of wisdom in what you say. But, but let me go back to your example of the trucker convoy. I mean, a couple of things I would say about that, like I know on this program, um, we we did a show uh, right in the, at least one, if not more than one, right in the middle of, of the protest in Ottawa, worked really hard to get a voice from the convoy. Um, and I also saw on News Network some terrific coverage on the Friday and Saturday and whatever day the, the convoy started getting dismantled. I think it was a Saturday. Um, and, and so I saw firsthand and was involved from here in this studio firsthand um, the attempts to get voices on the air. Um, so first of all, a lot of people refused to talk to media generally because they they just were mistrustful, not just the CBC, but maybe especially the CBC. But I'll tell you, our reporters worked really hard to get that. Secondly, there were a lot of voices. And we, we had we had a one on, uh, at least one on our program, but I know on CBC News Network, there were various people involved in that protest who had a chance to, to say their voice. So I just wanted to mention that, you know, just to kind of well, put... One of the things that I saw was that uh, was that I saw a microphone in somebody's face and and somebody like talking over it, saying that this was a this was a so that they they it was like it was like a, a, a an image of people's mm. voices coming through, but that wasn't actually what was what the what the audio was. Yeah. The audio was well these are these are white supremacists and maybe you know I mean I'm not w- listening 24 hours a day, but. You know, I, I, that was my experience. And mm-hmm. I remember being in the car going, what is the point? Who is, what are they trying to say? Stop, stop telling the narrative. Don't, stop with the opinion. Like as journalists, we're supposed to have, you know, a, a, a journalist is supposed to, from my understanding of what journalism is, is supposed to have, um, be able to tell multiple stories and let the, the, um, the uh, uh, the listener mm-hmm. decide and make an opinion and i feel that the, all of this misinformation and disinformation at this point that is code for oh well you're just too stupid for us to give you the the other 
the other point of view. Well, I sure hope it, I sure, I sure, I sure, that's what I feel. Yeah, I sure hope it isn't. I'll tell you, like, in in listening to what you have to say, another thing comes to mind, and it's something I actually talk a lot about in our newsrooms, is I think we need to, so you would argue we need to do a better job in our coverage, and that is a a point well taken. It's good to hear people say that, and it's one of the reasons we're doing the show. But, but I would, I would say something a little bit different um, without disagreeing with that, yes, we need to do a better job, no question. But I would also say that we need to do a better job of explaining to people um, what we're doing with that job. Because, I mean, I feel like the coverage I saw of the trucker convoy, and I know some people are going to be mad when they hear this, but I thought our coverage was actually very good and people worked really hard to get um, an accurate, as best an accurate view as they could as reporters of what was going on. What that means is not necessarily taking people um, at face value, like if they say this is what this is about, the journalism part is kind of digging into that and, and what what's really happening. But when you start doing that, you run the risk of people saying, oh, now you're into opinions and stuff. But Jennifer, I think, you know, we need to have a conversation about what we do and explain a, l- a little bit better um, what we do. Let me finish with this, Jennifer, the question that I've asked a few times and hopefully we'll ask a few more times in this program. If there was one thing at the CBC we could do to better serve you, what would it be? Um, uh, tell more story, uh, more. Um, one of the things I feel at the moment is less fear mongering about the COVID. I, I really feel that, that, uh, that has uh, done enough. And, and I would like for more information, like I would like not to be able to take your word for something. I would like you to say in this journal, uh, you know, they found that WXYZ as a, as a, uh, and how they got to that uh, thing that we're now calling the truth. Mm -hmm. I think that, there isn't enough underpinning of, um, I, I think a lot of people don't trust anymore news because it's not underpinned. Maybe that's because the news is in 97 second, you know, increments and there really isn't enough time to go into things properly and in depth. Yeah, but, but, but you know uh, what, you know, I mean, just to jump in, like we have lots of different outlets for news on CBC. Like this is a two hour live program and yeah. and your call so far has been eight minutes long. Like yeah. we, we don't do 90 second increments on this program for the most part. And but I'm not you, talking about this program. No, but I'm just, asking, but, 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 yeah. but I'm just saying it's all part of CBC media. Right. And, and, mm-hmm. and on, 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 you know, we have long, like the, the current, when it does a, a piece, it's not 90 seconds long. And, and I think about COVID and I know the reporters in the health unit and I know how hard they work and how much grounded in evidence their stories are um, and the people they talk to, right? So it's, it's interesting. Right. But for instance, if you went to the federal go- government uh, site mm-hmm. at the beginning of COVID, it said, it said that you had to look for it, but it said all COVID cases, whether they are COVID or not, are uh, uh, deaths, whether they are COVID or not, are going to be treated as COVID deaths. And if you like, and there are like, when I went through, like, I really went through all this information and went, I need to understand this because, and there are inconsistencies and there are things that really don't make sense. And I'm not seeing that, you know, like, for instance, why was only the death 
I, I went through one day and there were all these, um, these charts and graphs and all of them looked the same. And I th- thought, oh, that's interesting. Let's look at the death one. It said this one is cumulative. Why was only the death one? on the Ontario website, cumulative. Yeah, that so, makes the numbers look inflated. Yeah. You know, like things like things like that where people are trying to think. They're, they're, you know, people are, people are saying, trying to make, a, 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 you know, informed decisions about things. And yeah. I, I, I love CBC and this program and the, and the fact, and I love the in-depth things about it. But, I, but I'm legitimately saying I think that there are some issues that, and some points of view yep. that need to be, that need to be better represented. Okay. And yeah, that's all. Jennifer, and, I, I, and I'm, I'm listening and I appreciate your point of view. Um, and I'm not arguing with you when I say uh, the, the reporting on COVID, the health reporters we have, the amount of work that they do behind the scenes. I, again, I think maybe we just need to explain that more to people. And, and then people can push back too. I'm not saying we just force feed you with, hey, this is why we're credible. But I, I, I think you would be, I don't know, I think you might even be surprised to know the amount of work that uh, that our, our health unit does in trying to get the COVID story right. That's all we want to do with COVID. We have no vested interest in supporting any group or point of view or policy. We just want to get it right. But uh, can we do better on any of these stories? 100%. And thank you very much for calling. This is Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hanamansing. And our question, does Canada still need a public broadcaster? What do you want from the CBC? Part of this program is, is not just to look at the history that's led us to this point or what we're doing now, but also what the future of public broadcasting might be in this country. And my next guest is currently doing research on exactly that topic. Taylor Owen is the director of the Center for Media, Technology and Democracy at McGill University and an associate professor in the Max Bell School of Public Policy. And he joins us from Oliver, British Columbia. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the program. So from your perspective, why is this such a critical moment to talk about the future of public media? Yeah, it's it's been fascinating listening to this conversation. Um and I and like usual, I think as I um I often agree with both Sean Spear and Andrew Coyne's uh framing of a problem and found their framing of this to be largely correct. Um that we're seeing that that the public broadcaster should, in many meaningful ways, step in when there are, there are market failures. Um, but but also, like usual, I, I tend to disagree with their conclusions. Um, in this case, leaving our media ecosystem and our journalism in our country to the whims only of the market. Um, so I actually think there are some like it's critically important right now to be having this very conversation because there are some real and substantive market failures that the CBC might be or a public broadcaster broadly, if potentially reformed, could be really well positioned to address. So a couple of market failures um, in journalism. Like I don't think anybody would agree that the market as it's currently constituted is providing the type of re- enough reliable information into our society, enough local and rural journalism, enough accountability journalism that's needed in a democratic society. So clearly there's a need for something to supplement the market of journalism in Canada. Um, but it's not just the production of news in the country that's a problem. It's the way in which the market is distributing that information. And that's a reliance that we've had on private technology companies to deliver and incentivize what and how we consume information in our society. And I think that's also a market failure that potentially a public broadcaster could fail. 
And finally, I think we're we're facing this sort of crisis in large part because of our dependence on market-driven um, media institutions. We're 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 lacking a a common national connectivity um, that traditionally the CBC has played a role in filling. It, it is an is it a national? It's a nationalist institution at its core, and I think at a time when we're more and more fragmented, when we're all receiving different pieces of information. Um, that kind of national institution is really important. And I just don't see the market providing that either. So I, I guess in conclusion, I, I would agree with them that like we need to be looking at what the market isn't providing, but I just don't share their faith that the market will ultimately correct itself here. Another part of this conversation is where the CBC content, if we continue to have a CBC, if it continues to produce mm. the various kinds of editorial con content that it does, how do we distribute that? And up until now, it's been on CBC Radio and CBC Television and in the last few years digitally as well. But you were one of the researchers yeah. behind the Public Policy Forum report called The Shattered Mirror in 2017. And one of the recommendations was for the CBC to serve as a creative commons type service for other news organizations. Mm. It's an intriguing idea. Explain it for us. Sure. I mean, so if, if part of the mandate of the of the public broadcaster is to reach as many Canadians as possible with the content it produces, the ideal ideal in an ideal world, the reliable um, uh, journalism that it pays that we as taxpayers pay for it to produce, we should want it to reach as many people as possible. And we should not want it to compete with all of the private actors that are struggling in what is an incredibly difficult market um, for journalism at the moment. So one idea is for the CBC to take the content it produces using our taxpayer dollars um, and release it to the public under a Creative Commons license, which means anybody could repurpose it um, as long as it's published in its entirety. Um, so this would, this would accomplish both of those goals, arguably. It would get this content to more people. So people reading their local newspaper or listening to the local radio station would also get that CBC content. Um, but it would also help those local, those small institutions because it would provide them with sort of a baseline of content on which they could build businesses and produce other journalism and other content. So that's an idea. But like, I think we need to be thinking more broadly, just mm -hmm. really creatively about how to reimagine this institution because of the dire polling that Bruce opened the show with. Yeah. Like the very fact we're having this show on the CBC and this debate on the CBC shows that there's a lot of people who are questioning its utility and its viability in Canadian society at the moment. Yeah. And it, it, to address that, I think we need to th really reimagine what it should be and, and think pretty creatively about pol different directions for it. Well, that's what I love about that idea is that not only is it intriguing in and of itself, but it's also an example of a kind of what many people would consider outside of the box um, thinking about uh, CBC content. So um, I've, I've got so many things I have to squeeze in between now and the top of the hour. So I'll leave it there. But thank you very much for taking part in the program. My pleasure. Taylor Owen is the director of the Center for Media Technology and Democracy at McGill University and an associate professor at the Max Bell School of Public Policy. And we reached him in the beautiful town of Oliver, British Columbia. All right, our question, does Canada still need a public broadcaster? What do you want from the CBC? Let's go to Stratford, Ontario. Julia Schneider is on the phone. Hi, Julia. Hi. How do you feel about the CBC? Do we still need it? 
I strongly feel that we do need it. And I've been fascinated by the different viewpoints expressed today. The last man um, talking about um, the connectivity, and I, I was thinking how ill-informed and uncritical people are about what they um, hear. I, I'm a radio um, person rather mm-hmm. than a TV person, but um, I've been listening and um, thinking about and uh, being entertained and informed by the CBC for many years. And uh, when I hear someone like Pierre Polyev um, talking about defunding the CBC, I feel instantly dismissed and consigned to a premature death and burial. I mean, this is just anathema, um, but um, I mean, that's my point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have a journalism degree, and I, I do assess things uh, generally, and I don't see this bias and, uh, de- you know, focus on a certain viewpoint on the CBC. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen and um, I generally listen, you know, for hours a day. I listen to um, uh, information and uh, education programs like Ideas. I listen to As It Happens, which is both informational and entertaining. Mm-hmm. I listen to The Current, which keeps me up to date with yep. what's going on. I listen to Reclaimed, which mm-hmm. is um, when I was working at Grassy Narrows. That was a very meaningful program and still is to me. Yeah. I listen to Errol Nazareth. I listen to Q, and um, I used to listen to Randy Bachman, <laughs> and would yeah. like to still. Um, but um, it's like it connects me to Canada. It's past, it's present, and it's I hope future. Yep. And it's it's been so important to Canada. Okay, um, it's the voice of Canada, and um, I guess I'm a rabbit CBC person. Yep. Yeah. Well, thank yeah, thank thank you very. I, I'm sorry to. Um, keep the call short, but I, I want to get some other voices in here too. But Julia, thank you very much for calling us. Okay. I guess I got most of my <laughs> ideas. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank Bye. you so much. Uh, let's go to uh, Ava Benedict, who's in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. Maybe our first call from the Maritimes. But uh, uh, one of the interesting things, uh, Ava, about uh, you is you're 19 years old. So I'd love to hear your perspective as a 19-year-old about uh, the future of public broadcasting um, and whether you think we still need the CBC. Um, yeah, so hi. I hi. am I am very passionate about CBC. I love listening to it. I have it playing constantly in my apartment. I think it's really important to keep it accessible and free for more young people to get into it and to really focus on the fact that it's more than just doom and gloom news. Mm-hmm. Like, I really enjoy listening to the other programs, specifically Unreserved with Rosanna Deerchild. It really helps me connect to Canada and learn about Indigenous issues that aren't just the negative. It's not just the pain and the toil of what it is to be Indigenous in Canada. It's also about the Indigenous joy. And it's about, like, specifically, I'm remembering her interview with the cast of Bear Grief. Mm -hmm. That was very impactful for me. It was wonderful to see that kind of joy. Um. Yeah, I want more young people to get into it. I think it's been really helpful for my development and for my connection to Canada and understanding what's going on in my community, what's going on in other communities. It's really given me a lot of perspective. And I don't always agree with what everything is said. I am fairly left-leaning in my views, and I still don't always agree. And But it lets me 
sit there and think about it. So, so, so Ava, what about the idea that uh, some of our callers have expressed on the program that CBC needs to, to have more conservative voices on the air? How would you feel about that? I think it could be great. I do really want more well-natured debates. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to have all sorts of voices because then it can help people really develop their views and make sure you're not in the echo chamber. So if I were to hear a more conservative view, then I would sit there and actually think about it, debate it in my own mind, and then it may cement my views and say, yeah, I do still believe in what I believe in, or it could challenge me and kind of find a middle point. Um, And that's important. I think that's something that's not being used as often anymore. There's, I feel like there's a very strong divide, mm-hmm. which is not good for our nope. country or society. But you know what's good is having a 19-year-old listener of CBC Radio calling up a program like this and advocating uh, more thoughtful debate. I really appreciate your call. Thank you. Yes, thank you very much. So we've been hearing from supporters of public broadcasting who have ideas on how to change the CBC. And let's uh, bring in one more voice on that front. Part of the CBC's mandate is to present diversity of the country, uh, to make our programming diverse the way Canada is. And so our next guest is Karen Pugliese, the uh, editor-in-chief of Canada Land, an audience-funded news site and podcast network that covers Canadian media and politics. She's also the former director of news and current affairs of APTN. And uh, Karen's also past president and board member of the Canadian Association of Journalists, an organization that does an annual survey of diversity in Canadian newsrooms. And we've reached her in Toronto. Hi. Hi, Ian. How are you? Good. Thank you very much for uh, agreeing to uh, take part in the program. As I mentioned, our mandate uh, requires us to reflect the multicultural and multiracial nature of Canada. How would you grade how the CBC is doing on that? Well, it's doing better than than some other broadcasters. The CBC, like when we look at the CHA survey, it's more diverse than Toronto Star. It's more diverse than the Fest. It's more diverse than Post Media. Um, the, the way that we measure that is we look at the population and what the, you know, like what the uh, diversity is in, in the Canadian population. And uh, then we compare it to newsrooms. So if we look uh, across Canada, we'd say about 69% of Canadians are white. And uh, when we look across the industry, we see that 89% of journalists are white, but it's a little bit more even than at the CBC. CBC is um, about 70%. So, of course, this has to be uh, more than a box-checking exercise. So, in Mm -hmm. terms of the increasing diversity um, in places like the CBC, uh, is that translating into the way its its programming sounds and looks? In in some ways, it is. Like, I mean, we've seen the CBC, I I was saying... um, like when I started out in journalism, you know, it was 20 years ago, um, there was no Indigenous unit at the CBC. Uh, APTN opened up, and I probably wouldn't be a journalist today if APTN hadn't come along, because I couldn't break into the industry. Um, and somewhere around 2013, uh, CBC opened up an, its Indigenous unit. It was CBC Aboriginal back then, and it started with six Aboriginal journalists who um, were very much a force behind, you know, like you kind of got a bit of a critical mass there. And then all of a sudden they could create this thing inside CDC and mm-hmm. influence the news coverage. So um, the more you do that and the more you get 
uh, people into management and decision-making positions, the more diverse the news coverage becomes because you have people with links into communities who understand what the stories are that are important to those communities. And they're able to uh, express those ideas. They're able to get contact with those sources. And they're able to get that news on the air. Where I see the CBC failing a little bit is where that news comes out. It doesn't necessarily get prioritized. Um, I recall in 2020, um, there was so much happening with Wet'suwet'en and hereditary chiefs blocking a pipeline, which is a huge story of national interest to all Canadians. Uh, the issue of whether or not you can negotiate with Indigenous people and get these projects done is not just one that affects Indigenous people, but affects everybody. And it, it barely touched on the national. Uh, another one was Idle No More in 2012. It took the CBC a very long time to, to cover that on the national news. Um, and a matter of fact, I remember people tweeting at uh, Peter Mansbridge saying, when are you going to cover this? When is this going to be on the national? Um, and it was really uh, that, you know, like that native Twitter feed that was putting a lot of pressure on the CBC to cover that. So um, there, there seems to be some movement, but the things don't always get maybe the attention that they should be getting. Yeah. But, you know, there'll always be a gap between what some groups, whether they are a group that is an ethnic group or a religious group or a labor group or what have you, there'll always be a gap between the expectations of some groups and and the way news editors decide what the news is. And, and sometimes that's because the news editors are making bad judgments, but sometimes maybe they're making good judgments, right? Well, it, it can go either way. I mean, that's really the question. It's like um, if you have, uh, you know, like... You know, sometimes people say, well, Indigenous people are about 6% of the population. If you hit 6% of the stories, you're doing your job. But what are those stories? Mm -hmm. Are they the important stories? Are they the ones that, like, are really impacting Indigenous people? Or are they window dressing? And I, I'm talking about Indigenous because I'm Indigenous. But, um, like, in a ghost for any community, when you have a crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous women, when you have uh, Canada particularly... Um, stepping on human rights of a certain group, those should be making the national news a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think one of the ways to, to do that better is to make sure you have journalists from various groups across the country, including Indigenous groups, right? And I think we're seeing the reflection of that when you have somebody in a newsroom who, um, you know, is it has a better insight into some of those stories than maybe uh, the rest of us. <laughs> so uh, hopefully that well, is changing. Is that but I, I'd like to make another point just on, okay. on that, Ian, is that um, a lot of times, and, and like coming up through this industry, I'm told, and a lot of Indigenous people, a lot of brown people in the industry are told that these stories aren't important or they don't get clicks. And, and that can be true, um, because sometimes they're very important to a smaller population, and they may not be the most clickable stories. And so there's... Um, uh, I, I guess less attention paid to them, particularly with public, with not sorry, with private broadcasters, mm -hmm. because really they have to chase the clicks, they have to chase the money, they have to chase the audience. One of the huge values of having a public broadcaster is that it can make that space to make people eat their broccoli a little bit. Um, <laughs> it can make the space for voices that just aren't majority voices, and it yeah. has a responsibility to do that. Yeah. And I think that's one of the values of why there needs to be a public broadcaster. Yeah, well said. There is a way to make broccoli very uh, appetizing and uh, good to eat, but thank you. <laughs> little thank, cheese on it. <laughs> yeah, thank, <laughs> thank you very much for uh, for being on the program today.
Thanks for having me. Uh, that is Karen Pugliese, uh, Pugliese uh, Editor-in-Chief of Canada Land, past president and board member of the Canadian Association of Journalists. By the way, we did reach out to CBC for comment on whether it was meeting its targets for diversity and representation in the newsroom. Chuck Thompson is CBC's Head of Public Affairs, and he told us, for our audience to be reflected in our storytelling demands diversity in our storytellers, newsrooms, and our employees, creating this kind of workforce is essential to becoming the content producer we strive to be. We have clear goals on hiring, retention, and promotion. While we're making progress, we recognize that more needs to be done, especially at senior levels of the organization. Okay, I'm going to take one more call, then I'm going to go back to our panel one last time. And Joseph Bola is in Waterloo, Ontario. Hi, Joseph. Hello, how are you? Good, I, I'm uh, going to just cut you kind of short here just because of the time, maybe 90 seconds. So let me just ask no, you, Joseph. No, 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 no. I, actually, you are going to meet a really good voice. Yeah, uh, no, we will. By cutting the 90 seconds. Anyway. Okay. Uh, that's fine. So the first thing is, in order democracy to survive in Canada, we need to have a public-funded broadcast. Let's just... I'm going to emphasize that. We need to have a public-funded broadcast like CBC. CBC is struggling, and it's underfunded. That's why the reason it cannot cover every single content across the country, because it's underfunded. There are so many cutters, that's why it cannot cover it. For me, CBC is more than just a broadcaster. CBC, is, for me, is a welcoming uh, public-funded media when I first came to Canada 30 four years ago. Mm-hmm. Without CBC, I wouldn't really survive. So CBC cannot be like Fox News or like a corporate media. CBC is a public funded. There is so many scrutiny. Mm-hmm. There will be so many things that CBC could be criticized because it cannot support either way because okay. it is a standard loan, lonely media. And I'm sorry so, to do this to you, Joseph, but maybe one last uh, thought on this, please. Yeah. So for me is... If CBC is defunded, I am looking even more media to be funded other than CBC. So we have a, a, a public broadcaster competition other than a private. Mm-hmm. But for me, is if CBC is defunded, if CBC is no longer there, then democracy is not there. Okay. That's, that's really my conclusion. So yeah. the end of democracy is when there is a public funded media is actually defended. Okay. That, that's how it, I would have yeah, more story I, I, to tell, I'm for, I'm but unfortunately, no. I, I got a very... Two seconds. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. I got to go. Uh, Joseph, thank you for calling, and I, I wish we had more time, but I'm glad you had a chance to make that point. All right, let's go to our panel one last time here as we get uh, to the top of the clock. Uh, Susan Spear, uh, sorry, Sean Spears, the editor-at-large with The Hub, also former advisor to Stephen Harper, Sue Gardner, digital consultant, and uh, worked at CBC as the head of uh, cbc.ca. We have about three minutes left, so that's going to be about 90 seconds to each of you. And Sue, let me start with you. Uh, Last words from you. Sure. Um, so this was so interesting, Ian. It was so interesting. Um, the callers, as always, are like super, super interesting. So here's what I kind of am taking away um, from the program today. So we know, right, that um, people are turning away from news and they are feeling disaffected. And we heard that from people calling into this program today, right? That is not confined to the CBC, and it's not even confined to news, right? We have decades of research showing that trust in institutions, 
the judiciary, politicians, businesses, corporations, the church, um, media, has been dropping uh, for decades, for like 30 plus years. Um, it's not confined to the CBC. It's not confined to the news media. Um, but inside the news media in Canada, it is only the CBC who has the job of serving everybody. And I think that some of what we heard here today mm -hmm. was people not feeling served, right? Not feeling reflected. And so and, to and me... To, to give Sean yeah. enough time, I'd say maybe 15 seconds, uh, Sue? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, totally. I'm wrapping up. <laughs> um to me, um, what I take away from today, um, you know, media tend to be a little bit of a monoculture. That is also not confined to the CBC, right? But what I heard today argues to me for a refocus on the people, their needs, their interests, their issues, the things that they care about. Mm -hmm. All right, Sue, thank uh, you so much. Sean, uh, 90 seconds. Yeah, I would just say quickly, you know, this issue, of course, will remain near the center of our political debate heading into the next election. There'll be some onus on Pierre Polyev to start to bring expression to what he means by defund the CBC, uh, as we talked about earlier. And, and the point I would make is we'll hear passionate arguments on both sides for and against the CBC. It seems to me we need to try to think about this dispassionately. What's the role of the market? What's the role of government? What parts of the media landscape is the market serving well? Where might there be a more limited role for an ongoing a public broadcaster. But I think if you look at the market dispassionately, it's not the CBC in its current manifestation. It's something much smaller and more targeted. And that should, in a way, um, Ian, be viewed as a success in the sense that um, over time, through innovation and entrepreneurialism and technology and so mm -hmm. on, we've solved the initial problem that the CBC was established to create. That That doesn't mean it ought to go on in perpetuity. It means we need to continue to look at it systematically to make sure it's filling those gaps and getting out of the way in the instances where it's no longer needed. You see, if I had a podcast, we could talk for another 15, 20 minutes, but unfortunately, the news is coming up, so we can't. But thank you very much to both of you, uh, Sean Spear, editor-at-large at The Hub, also a uh, senior economics advisor to the former Prime Minister Stephen Harper, and Sue Gardner is a digital media consultant and former executive director of the Wikimedia Foundation, and also she worked as the head of cbc.ca. That's it for Checkup, the podcast this week. You've been listening to Cross Country Checkup's live broadcast on CBC Radio from September 24th, 2023. If you'd like to share comments or appear on a show, you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Thanks to everyone who helped this week. Our phone screeners are Aisha Huck, Hannah Abrahamsey, and Kate Helmore. Special thanks to the CBC's Casey Young. Our TV team is Elaine Wong, Frankie Fiorini, Brendan Sylvia, Ivana Stoyanovic, Maxime Elaine, and Richard Grundy. Technical production and editing from Will Yar and Matthias Wilson. Our program assistant is Kiata Greco. Cross Country Checkup was produced this week by Abby Plenner, Steve Howard, Rachel DeGasperes, and Mark Hennick. Our digital producer is Paul Hanchuk, and the senior producer of the program is Richard Goddard. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. The next edition of Checkup, the podcast, will be posted after the live show next Sunday. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.